2: When you have insurance, it's easy to forget about your out of pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. How do you know you're not overpaying? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a technology company that securely connects with your insurance and reviews your claims for overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. To save, visit healthlock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider.
3: Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
2: Hi, I'm Molly Jong-Fast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds. And the FDA has approved an over-the-counter oral contraceptive. We have a star-studded show today. Sisters in Law podcast host Joyce Vance tells us all about Trump's legal woes. And there are a lot of them. Then we'll talk to Axios National Political Correspondent Alex Thompson about everything happening in Biden world and Ron DeSantis's many bad political instincts. But first we have the author of The Big Lie, Pod Save Americas, Dan Pfeiffer. Welcome to Fast Politics, Dan Pfeiffer.
0: Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you.
2: Yeah, we're excited to have you back, especially right now, because I feel like this is, you know, you worked in the Obama administration. You have this little podcast no one's ever heard of. <laughs> Probably the reason all of us are doing what we're doing right now. But more importantly, like you have worked in an administration and I feel like there are echoes of Obama here where it's like things are actually going quite well. And the Biden administration does not seem to be able to, like, kind of get the credit
0: for it. I mean, no president has ever or their staff has ever believed In our case, at least correctly, and in Biden's case correctly, they get credit for all everything good they have done. But there is a particular disconnect right now between the trajectory of the economy and people's opinion on that economy. I think it's a very complicated, complex reason for set of reasons for that. But how we we, the progressive democratic world, more broadly figures out how to unstick that situation is going to be very closely tied to what happens in 2024.
2: Yeah, so let's talk about that because, you know, we have a lot of economists on here and I'm married to a venture capitalist, so we spend a lot of time worrying about the public markets and, you know, there's a lot of anxiety and I lived through 2008 and, you know, we talk a lot about what, you know, there was a real conviction and I wouldn't even say conviction. I would say on the left, it was an anxiety, on the right, it was a fantasy that we were going to head to recession, that there was no way that you could quash inflation without driving the American economy into a recession. And it seems like that's not happening.
0: Yeah, it seems, you know, based on both the jobs numbers and the inflation numbers out earlier this week, that we are headed towards what the economists call a soft landing, where you defeat inflation without heading to a recession. That would be huge, both substantively and politically, huge victory for the Biden administration and the Fed and everyone who's been trying to do this. So,
2: I mean, there was a lot of like deft kind of maneuvering behind the scenes that made this happen.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the you have the set of and this is you can't talk about this without tying it to the set of legislative accomplishments the president has made. First, the American Rescue Plan to bring the economy back quickly, right? They get to restart hiring in this country. And then a bunch of longer term bills like the CHIPS Act and the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which are leading to investment, which is then improving the markets. It's improving hiring, and it is keeping the it has kept the economy strong despite a, you know, a pretty aggressive set of rate increases from the Fed. It's almost like the economy is so strong that even the Fed yeah, stop right. it. Because Joe right. Powell seems to be trying, but he he's been unable to do it.
2: And the jobs numbers. I mean, I'm not going to go crazy here on the economy stuff because right. I'm just a hobbyist. But the sort of feeling I always had growing up was that Republican presidents would sort of fall into good economic news, and then Democrats would have to sort of dig out from the hole that Republicans put us in.
0: Yep. Yeah. That's that is that has been the the very clear history. There's a old tired metaphor about Democrats having to clean up after the elephants at the circus every time they get in office. But
2: voters like to vote for Republicans on the economy.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is a really interesting question. Republicans have had an advantage on the economy more broadly. Going back to Reagan, Democrats had it for a very long time. New Deal, Roosevelt, Clinton in the 90s had a very strong Obama one, you know, had a, a big advantage on the economy, even admits all the troubles he had against Romney in 2012. No president, and this sort of gets to the question of how Biden is going to have to navigate this, is no person in modern history has won a presidential election without winning on the economy. The closest it it has ever been for the winner is that Biden and Trump are essentially tied in the exit polls on the economy. And so right now, he, the president, despite all of the successes and the state of the economy, you know jobs at a you know, unemployment rate of sixty or low, inflation going down for more than a year now, sort of back in the normal range, all of those things is at a significant deficit on the economy. And that's why we're talking about Bidenomics. That's why they're out there every day is they know they have to solve that problem. And the best time to solve that problem is right now when the Republicans are in the midst of all their insane stuff in the primary and he has sort of a little bit of a Freely is not the right word, but he is not in a day to day back and forth with Donald Trump around DeSantis. he can just talk about the economy. This is what Obama did. Obama at this exact point in time was getting killed on the economy. Americans believed that he was. But not the economy was worse for sure. The was economy was definitely bad. Worse. It was yeah, actually bad. Yeah, yeah. We had a we actually had a harder challenge in the sense that we had to tell people that things were going to get better, right. <laughs> right, rather right, than yeah. things are better. Right. You, there wasn't. A, you had to look at the horizon here. There's a possibility just somebody to look out their window, and they may be able to to feel better about it. But the reasons why they aren't, I think, are very complex. And there is, I do think one of the things we have to recognize is the polling is not telling us everything that it used to tell us, because there there are a couple of measures you look at here, right? There is overall economic approval of the president. There is approval of the economy itself. And there is right track, wrong track. I'm going to do these in reverse order. Right track, wrong track is terrible. Right. It is worse. It's been in history. That is when you like do focus groups on this. And the reason those numbers are slow is Republicans all think the country is on the wrong direction because Joe Biden is president. And <laughs> Donald Trump is not. Right. And Democrats right. think the country, a lot of Democrats and some independents think the country's on the wrong track because Donald Trump might be president again. Like everything that's happening in this country, you know, it's hard to look, turn on the news, despite the economic indicators Turn on the news and look at Donald Trump running around, gaining in the polls for the Republican nomination with two indictments under his belt and saying things are going great in the country. So you understand that. On approval of the economy, over the last 15 years, economic approval has become a proxy for presidential choice. And I remember this so clearly that, this happened. this has happened in every presidential election in recent history, where in the middle of the 2008 recession, basically the economic approval rating from when, for the before Obama was elected, after Obama was elected, it did not change right? People thought the economy was going terribly for all the obvious reasons, but the people who thought it was completely reversed. Republicans thought the economy was doing better under Bush. The thought it was terrible. And then you have black and brown voters who were by far suffering the worst under the, under the financial crisis, feeling better about the economy because Barack Obama was president. And then even since then, The number of Republicans willing to say a Democrat is doing well on the economy Mm -hmm. has has been cut in half. It was like 15 to 18 people when Obama was president. Now it's under under 10 for Biden. And so that's going to lower your ceiling under all scenarios. Now, the challenge for Biden on this is that his economic approval rating is among Democrats. Among Democrats is 10 to 12 points lower than his overall approval rating among Democrats. I think that's going to change as the election picks up. And I think those two things are going to become one and the same because how people people are going to get they can be thinking about Biden versus Trump or Biden versus DeSantis or Biden versus Doug Burgum or whoever, whoever you want to pick yeah. as opposed to Biden versus whatever could possibly be in an ideal scenario. But the thing you look at and you worry about if you're the president's team or you or at least you worry, it's too early to worry. It is time to work on fixing is. Biden's numbers among economic numbers among independents, a group he won in 2020, are pretty far underwater. And, that ha- and that's something that is going to have to have spent a lot of time and money, frankly, to change those impressions.
2: But it is interesting. I mean, it seems more and more likely that DeSantis is not going to be the guy. Yeah, it, it seems sorry. that way. Yeah. Please help me. But yeah, I mean, I just think like, so there seems to be this kind of Hail Mary pass from Republican donor class where they're sort of trying to figure out, you know, some other person who is, you know, I'm seeing donors doing events for Rick Scott. And I know a friend of mine, is, you know, they're trying to get Yunkin in, but all Ultimately, I mean, it's not that they don't have enough candidates.
0: No, they have more candidates than they need. It's basically, if you look at the field right now, it's hard to imagine anyone running in this current field who can beat Donald Trump. Right. It's just if you look at them, they are immensely flawed. They're not offering what the party clearly wants. You know, in in these polls, what people's number one thing they want in a candidate who's not Trump is for that candidate to be like Trump. And that was yeah. what DeSantis' argument was, but he doesn't <laughs> right. have the charisma or the skill. Or because Donald Trump is not just an extreme politician; he's not my cup of tea. But he's a charismatic extreme politician, and DeSantis is charisma is not nice. a word I used to describe him. <laughs> and you know this happens every time in 2012 when people were pretty dissatisfied with Romney, and that field there were efforts to get both Rubio and Christy to run. I mean, there were people basically offering to write you know, five, 10, $50 million checks at Super PACs to get Chris Christie to run.
2: The salad days. Yes, yeah.
0: for, for Chris Christie, for sure. <laughs> for
2: Chris Christie, yeah.
0: Like there will be those efforts. I would imagine that maybe more Youngkin than Scott, because I'm not sure what Scott's bringing to the table, but Youngkin, you can see on paper, at least, why the people, the sort of people who can write the checks you need to get candidates to run would be interested in someone like Glenn well, He's I mean, he is, he is, he is himself. A very rich Rich Republican, so there's there's an affinity there.
2: What I think is interesting, and and Youngkin has the same problem as all these candidates, right? There, you can look good on paper and then get in the race, and you know, I mean, DeSantis has this problem: is every time voters get to know him, they decide they don't like him.
0: I said this on Potze Becker recently, which is candidates for president generally can do at least two of the following three things: be a good speaker in front of a crowd. Like Obama, right? Be really good in a small group, you know, where you are. You're talking to Iowa caucus goers, and you are just you can persuade them, and charm them. At, you know, like Biden is very good at that. Bill Clinton, obviously, famously good at that. George Bush, quite good at that, actually. Or you are very deft with the media, right? Which was, you know, that was the hallmark of B. Buttigieg. Is just giving Trump is, in his own weird way, very deft with the media. Ron DeSantis is good at none of those things. In fact, I think he's actively bad at all of them. There is something diminishing once you, you get in a race, right? No matter how, even right. Obama came in, he got in that race and we have 20,000 people in Springfield, Illinois and Oprah's endorsing him. And then the second you're down 15 points to Hillary Clinton in the polls, or you're losing to John Edwards and the Iowa caucus, you look small. And then you have to build your way out of it, right? Biden had to do that. John McCain had to do that in 2008. Romney had to do it in 2012. Like there's always a moment where they test the candidate, and if they have a little luck and a lot of skill, they can come back. It's just hard to see any of these candidates, particularly DeSantis, having enough skill to, you know, even like even when Biden was struggling mightily in 2020, you knew that he had a long history, a deep reservoir of support, and one hell of an electability argument against Trump. Right. And when McCain was, you know, he was basically firing his campaign staff in 2008, you knew that he had. Won some of these states before. There was a deep reservoir of support with him among independents. And he was a pretty, he was a you know a very deft politician. And he could come back. John Kerry, you know, certainly had an electability argument and a profile that Vic candidates were looking for in 2004. It's just what has Ron DeSantis had that people want? It's really hard to divine when looking at the race thus far.
2: Completely baffling. So 2024 is going to be 2020 again, unless something humongous happens. I mean, do you think that that presents an opportunity for all of us to learn from our previous mistakes? Or do you think we just barrel into another? Or do you think we all just have nervous breakdowns and die because we can't stand another? I mean, it's basically been a decade taken up by Trump at this point.
0: I think as you look at it right now, Joe Biden would have to be a slight favorite against Trump in 2024. And that is, it says nothing about Joe Biden's political skills or anything. I mean, if we had a, if we had national popular elections, he would be a significant favorite. Well, like we just have to go into this election, no matter what the polls are gonna tell us throughout twenty twenty four, that the total number of voters who will decide the election will be fewer people that attended the most recent Taylor Swift concert. Like that's what it's gonna be, right? It's gonna be a hundred thousand people if we're lucky over four or five states. And it's just gonna be that close. And it is a game of inches. And I think that is one thing where I think we the world thought that there that political gravity was real and that or at least political gravity was stronger than polarization and structure and the structural advantage of the electoral college and it's not right, no matter right. how Trump even with Trump could be have three convictions under his belt and he's probably going to do almost at least pretty close to as well as he was doing in 2020 and what what is like the most worrisome thing here is and uh, you've talked about it I've talked about it is What role does a third party candidate play here? Whether it's Joe Manchin and Fred Upton or John Huntsman or frankly, Cornel West. All it takes is a few thousand voters, you know, who either were Trump, Biden, you know, go no labels this time or, you know, a lot of voters. You know, we Biden did overwhelmingly well with the people who voted for a third party candidate in 2016. He won those, I think, by like two to one or three to one. And if any of those people go back to third parties, that could be the difference in some of these states. And so that is there is this additional factor that we're going to have to be very vigilant of. And we we all came out of 2016 recognizing the danger of it. And our party team tends to forget these things over time, right? It's obviously why Al Gore lost. We cared passionately about it. And we're conservative. It didn't really matter in 2008. We didn't have one in 2012. 2016, it was the, the death of us, maybe literally. And we're back at it in 2024.
2: When we talk about no labels, those guys, Mark Penn, I (laughs) mean, how angry are you? at Mark Penn, no labels is the brainchild of a man who used to be a Democrat.
0: I have been basically angry at Mark Penn for going on like 17 years now. (laughs) Even when he was uh, still active in Democratic Party, he's one of the more malicious forces, the more malicious and avarice forces in our party. I think no one who has known him or worked around him or worked against him is shocked that this is where we have ended up.
2: Mark Penn and Nancy Jacobson. I mean, and and raising millions and millions of dollars from Republicans.
0: Yeah, who understand exactly what that money is for.
2: But I mean, Nelson Peltz gave millions of dollars. There are people in the Peltz family who I love and who are my friends, but... On the other side of it is Nelson, who is a Republican mega donor and who is giving this money in the
0: hopes of helping Trump. Yeah. And didn't Trump go to his birthday party pretty recently? Yes, <laughs> like, yes, so yes, 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 He can't have Donald Trump attend your birthday party and then also somehow believe in some fantastical third party return to centrism. Like those two things are not compatible.
2: I mean, this whole thing is bullshit. I mean, it's certainly a real threat.
0: That's it's very real.
2: I continually am just shocked by the idea that Trump has been indicted twice, probably coming up on a third, impeached twice. And really, he somehow, I mean, you don't think that's going to make the base a little smaller?
0: I I think we should operate as as if it won't. It certainly can be, there are going to be a lot of people I think who voted for, I don't know. It is a very real question. You would think that a party that seems like they would care about electability would be concerned about backing a guy who's been indicted twice and soon to be three and maybe four times. But polarization is very real. And if he is the nominee, no matter how many times he gets indicted, no matter how many times he gets convicted, no matter what he says, no matter what tape comes out a week before the election, Donald Trump is going to go into election day two inches from the end zone, right? He's going been on the one yard line. And that is just, that's how it is. And that that is true of DeSantis. That is true of Doug Burgum. It's true of Glenn Youngkin or Rick Scott. Like that's where we are. And Trump is potentially more dangerous than those because he's the only person in the Republican Party who has shown a capacity to jack up turnout beyond previously known levels in rural areas. It's not just how, like, you have to look at to You have to look at support levels and turnout levels. And he moved support levels and among Republicans in rural areas from where Democrats were in 2012. But in Republicans, have you know, no matter what they're running for—Senate, Congress, Governor—have kept those support levels, but they haven't gotten the turnout levels, which is why Democrats won in 17, 18, 19, 20, 22. But Trump, Trump is different. When he's on the ballot, and so we, I think we just have to operate as if this is going to be an incredibly close election. No matter what insane like that should be the lesson. No matter what insane thing, terrible thing he does, no matter how many times he gets convicted or indicted or whatever else, this is going to be a game of inches.
2: Dan, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. And now I will go and move to a pineapple under the sea. But yes,
0: thank you. Yes, I, I apologize for ending on that. Not so. Not so uplifting note. <laughs>
2: When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries, right? Well, not so fast. What about your out-of-pocket costs? That can be a lot of money for you and your family. And if you're like me, you can't help but wonder, was I overbilled? You're not alone. It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? It's a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong code. And even fraud, HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors. So you pay only what you owe. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. Bottom line insurance alone isn't enough. HealthLock finds medical bill errors before you pay. To save, visit healthlock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider.
1: lifelock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own join now and save up to 25 percent your first year at lifelock.com iheart that's lifelock.com iheart to save up to 25 percent identity theft protection starts here
3: right here right now find your beautiful new floor at right rug flooring Joyce Vance is a professor at University of Alabama
2: and host of the podcast, Sisters in Law. I am so excited to have my friend who I really, really like and who I'm going to do a panel with at the Texas Trib Fest. That's right. We are. I'm very excited about that. That's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. Joyce Vance, welcome to Fast Politics. Well,
5: thank you. What a great week to be with you, Molly.
2: It is a great week. I mean, it's hot, and we're and you're in Alabama, so it's really hot.
5: Yeah, you guys don't know what hot is. It's terrible <laughs> down here. <laughs>
2: Our listeners know a little bit about what's going on, but I would love you to give us like a two second primer on
5: Trump's many legal challenges. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. If I only have two seconds, let me talk. (laughs) No, you have 10 minutes. Yes. But go on. Yes. He's in a lot of trouble. Right. And it's both (laughs) civil and criminal. And typically we think that going to jail is the worst thing that can happen to a person. And it is a terrible thing. But in Trump's cases, he faces some really severe civil consequences as well. So let me start there. Mm, that's interesting. Eugene Carroll is going to take Trump back to trial on defamation charges. The verdict she won earlier this year for five million dollars was actually the second case she filed. That was comments he made about her after he left the presidency. But now in January, She's entitled to go back to trial on comments he made while he was the president using the megaphone of the presidency. And the interesting thing about this case is most of the issues are resolved. In civil litigation, when an issue has been resolved between two parties in prior litigation, that ruling holds in future cases. In other words, you can't keep litigating over and over and over again whether or not Donald Trump acted with actual malice towards E. Jean Carroll. Pretty much the only issue that's at stake in this next trial is the issue of damages and here's the argument we can expect eugene carroll's very capable lawyer robbie kaplan to make she's going to say we successfully sued him for defamation and the next day he got on national television and he defamed her again so now ladies and gentlemen of the jury your job is to issue an amount of damages that will be sufficient to make him stop 5 million dollars wasn't enough. You know, and and what do you think? 10, 15, it'll depend on what the jury wants to do. That case is serious for Trump. And there are other civil cases, for instance, the New York Attorney General is trying to impose what's sometimes called the death penalty for businesses on his New York operations. So that case right. scheduled for this fall but it may get pushed out of the way by some of the criminal stuff. There are the Manhattan DA's charges, charges that predate Trump going into the presidency, and which, by the way, can't be pardoned by a president, those are state charges. There's the Mar-a-Lago case. And I think we all know what's going on there. The real issue is, will DOJ be able to try that case before the election or not? The evidence is overwhelming. Next on the ticket is probably a separate investigation Jack Smith is running, the investigation into to January 6th. That's a big case. It's not just January 6th. There's both a pre-election component a resolving the election component, and then a trying to interfere with the certification and the transfer of power component, it is unlikely at this point that Smith will be able to try this case before the election. So I think a lot of this comes down to what evidence he wants to put forward in the indictment. I would expect a big speaking indictment. And then of course, Georgia, we don't know who's gonna go first, Jack Smith or Georgia. You're pretty sure there's gonna be another Jack Smith indictment. So it's an interesting question, Molly, because sometimes what prosecutors will do in a close case is they'll give the evidence to the grand jury and they'll make they'll let the grand jury make the decision about whether there's enough. But Jack Smith looks like he's playing for keeps. He's brought in all of the witnesses, including the former vice president. Right. They're working hard. They're working fast. That has to be done in this case, whether you're going to indict or not. But he looks like he's for real. And we're on the DOJ timeline. We're on the summer timeline. So I would expect that if we're going to see an indictment, it will be in the next few weeks.
2: Okay. so and then let's talk about Georgia.
5: Bonnie Willis, experienced prosecutor, well-versed in the use of Georgia's mini RICO statute. She, too, is looking at a lot of moving parts. It almost seems to me that there might be an inside Georgia case involving Georgia politicians and fake electors and then an external influence case. Or she may she may indict it all together. There's some value in, in bringing everything at once. But she has signaled as strongly as she can, telling the judges in her courthouse that she plans on having her folks work remotely in late August or or early September. That looks to me like she's serious. So you think that will be late August, early September? You know, she has impaneled two new grand juries just this week. Presumably, those are the grand juries that will hear any criminal indictments. They could indict today. But she has sent this letter to the court suggesting that that would be a good time Time to not schedule hearings and that <laughs> her folks will be working from home i'd call that a signal right, right right, yeah that does sound like a signal we've already seen now
2: that trump has decided he's going to run out the clock right that that is his tactic and we've seen him do that before the jack smith case for now anyway is in florida so the question i think i wonder is can he run out the clock in Florida with Jack Smith because of this MAGA judge, Judge Eileen Cannon.
5: Right. And it's largely up to her. She has right. discretion. We saw her rather than holding the lawyer's feet to the fire and holding her first, the the SIPA pretrial conference on schedule and classified discovery, instead of really requiring the defense lawyers to do what she would told them to do, she gave them a couple of extra days. You know, in the right. ultimate scheme of things, three days, probably not a big deal. But if that becomes weeks to resolve motions or if the lawyers say, you know, I need to go on vacation and she says, okay, go ahead and go, then it becomes really impossible to get this case to trial ahead of the election. And this is a case that could be prepared to try pretty quickly. Something interesting, Molly, that I'll just flag for you is that when the defense lawyers were trying to argue that there shouldn't even be a trial setting, that discovery would be really complicated They were relying on 30-year-old cases, you know, Manuel Noriega. Right. Classified discovery is never easy. It's always complicated. It's gotten a lot more streamlined in the last 30 years. We have much better access to technology. And so, yes, defendants' rights do have to be protected. They have to have sufficient time. It is not easy. But it's not trial three years from now, not easy. It's trial in the spring, not easy. Right, right,
2: right. I mean, will he be able to run out the clock?
5: Two questions. One, will the judge do her job? I wish I was more optimistic than I am about that. Second, Will Jack Smith go to the 11th Circuit to seek recusal? I think he will do that on her first really bad ruling. I'm not sure that they shouldn't have done it right away. But, you know, asking a judge to recuse, those are sensitive issues. Perhaps the prosecutors felt better about her. But it's not just this issue of how fast she goes to trial. The real problem here is that once the jury is sworn in and they're in trial, rulings that she makes about important things like what evidence can go in, what arguments the prosecution can make. If Trump gets an acquittal, the prosecution can't appeal those things. And so the judge can really put her thumb on the scale of justice if she's inclined to. And that's the big question here. Is she inclined to? I mean, it seems like she might be, right? The, the problem is we don't know. And so here's right. how lawyers resolve that kind of an issue. Judges are supposed to avoid even the appearance of impropriety. Maybe she is pure as the driven snow. But if she was a responsible judge, she would say, I know that these two earlier cases where the 11th Circuit really called me for being out of bounds, they create an appearance of impropriety and I'm going to recuse from handling this case that right. might have meant that DOJ would get another trump appointed judge right and and that would be just fine right i mean aren't there only four i mean in that district in florida it depends on division right every federal district there're 94 across the country they're mostly divided into divisions she's in fort pierce there there are questions about where in the district this case should be tried i wonder if we won't ultimately see it in the big courthouse in Miami for security reasons. Oh, interesting. A a lot of little issues there, but it doesn't really matter, you know, if it's a Trump appointed judge or not. You just don't want a judge where a lot of people will will have lingering questions that there is a serious appearance of impropriety, not just not something speculative. This is a serious appearance of impropriety. Can you talk to us a little bit about Walt Nada, Trump's co-defendant? I find it to be a little bit difficult to not feel somewhat sorry for him. Yeah, me too. Yeah. This is somebody who came to the military from Guam, from sort of humble origins, you know, phenomenally successful, gets to work with the president of the United States. And that power imbalance and just that whole scenario, I think, helps us understand why Walt Nauta is where he is. He sticks with Trump when Trump leaves the presidency. He moves around these boxes with classified material and it is entirely possible. And look, we're all reading tea leaves, but I think this is what the indictment adds up to now to takes those boxes and takes them to Trump so that Trump can look through stuff and pull stuff out. He does not want the government to find and maybe now even put some of that material into Trump's hands so he can take it to Bedminster with him. There's less clarity on that right right now. It seems reasonable. So. If Nauda, you know, if I was Walt Nauda's defense lawyer, I am nobody's defense lawyer. But if I was (laughs) in this scenario representing my client and his interests, I would say, buddy, you're looking at 20 years plus in prison. Let's go cut a deal with the government. And so there's this concern because the reporting is that his lawyers are paid for by Trump's PAC. Maybe even Trump had to sign off right on the lawyer. And we've seen this before. Trump's lawyers,
2: you know, that there's a sort of mafia thing where if they pay for your lawyers, that means they set your defense.
5: Exactly. And it's not supposed to be that way. The lawyers still have an obligation to represent the client. But really, are they what we know here from from the media is that there was an offer made to pre pretrial and his lawyers sort of blew it off and claimed that there had been prosecutorial uh, impropriety in that meeting. So whether or not Walt Nauda is well served by his lawyers remains to be seen. But it's not like Walt Nauda is in a place where he can
2: afford these lawyers. And I was hoping you could talk about this because I was reporting about this. The Florida lawyers kind of got together and decided they were going to charge Trump a lot of money. Well, look, Trump is a dangerous client to take (laughs) on. (laughs) Right. But you need to have a specific kind of security clearance to take that job.
5: You need to be able to obtain a clearance. And what DOJ has represented is that the FBI is prepared to you know, do those clearances expeditiously just in a matter of days. So it's not impossible. But you can't be Michael Cohen and get that clearance. I think that that's right. You have to be able to get a clearance. But look, a lot of people can have a security clearance. Molly, I held, you know, a top secret SCI clearance for many years in my life. And so- There are plenty of former United States attorneys, assistant United States attorneys in Miami who are members of the bar in that court who would have been available in this three week search that resulted in a lawyer who is very well qualified to do state criminal work and state family court work but who has never been in federal court wasn't even registered in the federal right. filing system right the, the judge had to order that she be entered into that that's concerning and that that sort of breaks your heart for mr nauda he should have a lawyer representing him, not Donald Trump. There are a lot of people who put Donald Trump's interests first.
2: Yeah. And it seems likely that that is how it will go for poor Walt Nada, who is, you know, an adult who makes his own decisions, but still clearly everything Trump touches, you know.
5: Yeah. Uh, Of course, there's Cassidy Hutchinson, right? She breaks loose from her Trump lawyers. And so you wonder if something like that might not happen for Nada Maybe he will talk to prosecutors. Maybe he will hear something in court. But it's the financial issue, right? How do you, if you're Walt now, to figure out how to go and put down whatever it is, a couple hundred thousand dollars as a retainer for your own lawyers?
2: Yeah, completely crazy. So let me ask you now, you know, we're watching this Trump legal drama unfold. I mean, how much of a stress do you think this is to Trump? You know, because politically he hasn't paid a price, but, you know, he's 77 years old.
5: To a normal human being, this would be really stressful, right? Just the fact that you were dealing with all these legal issues, we're going to have to be in court a good bit. But Trump is sort of sui generis. He's just cut from his own cloth. He's very unique. I think he has skated through so much of his life that maybe he thinks, you know, he can roll double sixes one more time and break free from all of it. And certainly to your earlier point, Molly, and and you seem to be awfully savvy about how this works for a non-lawyer. I have to say that every time I listen to you, I think that.
2: Oh, thank you. Why try not to say anything stupid because I'm not a lawyer. So I just ask
5: a lot of questions. Well, you know, it takes a a whole village of us to try to figure this out, right? But Trump's Trump's game is to win in 2024. And then he has a get out of jail free card. And that is the fight for democracy's life that we are going to live through
2: to say like it definitely seems like that's the plan is that he's going to be able to because if he wins again he can just punt everything down the road and then and then pardon himself
5: yeah i mean he can appoint his own attorney general he can ignore the courts i mean he has shown a willingness to get away with behavior that is um not the way Presidents behave in a democracy.
2: Yeah. Unbelievable. So there are no legal mechanisms. The thing I'm struck by again and again when we talk about this is like this is a more of a theoretical question that I just want you to sort of bat around, which is Trump really was able to grow in a system where no one had ever been like that. Can you explain? Because there's no mechanism for like someone who operates without shame or remorse.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the key to Trump's success. There are no norms. There is only self-interest. And so Bob Mueller and the Mueller investigation is a great way to think about this. Mueller, an institutionalist, right? A straight arrow who believed in the system and believed that if he worked within the confines of the system, there would be accountability, if not from DOJ, from Congress. That was not the paradigm that Trump was living in. And Trump shamelessly obstructed that investigation should still, in my judgment, have been criminally charged for obstruction of justice based on the Mueller report. But we lived in a system of deference where too many people thought, if we can just get a little bit further down the road, this crazy guy is gonna disappear And everything will be restored. And the lesson of Trump and his failure to play by the rules is that it's a tough needle to thread, Molly. You cannot destroy all the norms. You cannot become Trump to destroy Trump. Right. That really would be the end of democracy. I mean, crowds of people shouting, you know, lock him up when he hasn't been convicted in a criminal court. We cannot let him turn us into that. But that said. We have to be stronger. We have to be more evolved. We've seen some of that from Jack Smith, right? He's been a little bit take no prisoners. But by the same token, there's still that missing first year where DOJ did not want to engage on the Trump portion of the January 6th case. And ultimately, that lost year may cost us an awful lot
2: so interesting i really appreciate you i know to come in and have to talk about sort of the whole gestalt is is a bit weird but we really needed you
5: it's not weird it's my favorite thing to do i'll come back anytime and i'll bring my dogs to bark at your dogs.
2: yes i would love it hi it's molly and i am wildly excited that for the first time, Fast Politics, the show you're listening to right now, is going to have merch for sale. Over at shop.fastpoliticspod.com, you can now buy shirts, hats, hoodies, and tote bags with our incredible designs. We've heard your cries to spread the word about our podcast and get a tote bag With my adorable Leo, the rescue puppy on it. And now you can grab this merchandise only at shop.fastpoliticspod.com. Thanks for your support. Alex Thompson is a national correspondent at Axios. Welcome to Fast Politics, Alex Thompson.
6: I'm glad to be here.
2: Alex tell us what your beat
6: is Uh, I'm covering the 2024 election so a little bit of the GOP car wreck and then also the Biden reelect as well
2: and you also are writing a book about Biden I am uh so you know a lot of stuff now you are in the process of writing this book we're not getting you when you're good when you're at peak dish
6: No, that will come in about a year. But we can still
2: probably bully or manipulate you into telling us some interesting stuff.
6: I think you can.
2: Okay, that's the hope. So let's talk a little bit first about the Republican side, because what I mean, and I know you're not on the opinion side. So you don't don't feel that you have to give your opinion. I will just uh, manipulate you into doing it. (laughs) What is happening with this GOP primary field?
6: I mean, essentially, it's Trump versus everybody. And. You're seeing every single candidate try to figure out, is there a way to change the dynamic of this primary? Now, some are just hoping for the debate stage. You see Chris Christie base, you know, arguing. You have to go right through him. You have someone like Tim Scott, who essentially is trying to play nice with everybody and just focus on his own image and and never attacks anyone and, and just feels that the, the party may come to him in order to Go to a fresh face. Then you have someone like DeSantis in between, who is is basically picking and choosing his spots. You know, saying Trump was a good president, but and trying to uh, you know in some ways that is subtle, in some ways that is overt, contrasts himself. But essentially, Trump is the four hundred pound gorilla. He is the King Kong of the race, and every single Republican strategist is scratching their heads trying to think. How can we change that dynamic?
2: Tell me if I'm wrong. You're really mo- much more in it than I am. But it does feel like 2016 all over again.
6: That's interesting. I mean, I think there are a lot of parallels. I'd say the biggest difference between the two sides is that Trump at the beginning was polling and like, you know, you have to remember in June of 2015, that's when Trump gets in the race and he was in single digits. And then you just sort of took off like a rocket ship. And people were sort of in denial that he could actually win. And this time there is this sense of well, he is like there's an almost an air of inevitability. But in terms of I think what you're talking about is trying to figure out how to go at him. I mean, we are seeing basically everyone recycle all the same strategies. It
2: didn't work then and it's not working now.
6: No. And I think maybe the only big difference is you're seeing Ron DeSantis go to where Ted Cruz was near the end. You know, you're seeing Ron DeSantis do it earlier.
2: And Ron DeSantis has a lot of Ted Cruz's people.
6: Yes, it's not a coincidence that the teams are very similar. I can tell you that Senator Cruz has, has remarked to other people, well, he's like, you know, the, those are a lot of my people over there on both the official and the super PAC side. You know, in some ways, you could argue they're, they're trying to run the Ted Cruz 2016 campaign, but just with a different candidate.
2: Yeah, it was someone who is the one—they found the one person less likable than Ted Cruz to run <laughs> as Ted Cruz. We'll see how it goes, but it does seem like the demise of Ron DeSantis politically does seem to have captured the headlines. It's been four months. It feels like, and again, you can answer this however you want, that the more voters know him, the less they want him.
6: I agree and disagree with you. Uh, so I'll, I'll say I disagree with you in that I don't think anyone is ever as dumb or as smart as the national narrative is. I do think we're, mm, and we are poised to potentially see a DeSantis like comeback boomlet. He by far and away has the most money of any candidate in the race, that includes Trump. Yeah, that's not nothing. And I do think he has the most advanced team in Iowa on the ground. And I do think they are getting a little bit more comfortable. Now, that all being said, I think his rollout was a mess. Beyond just the Twitter stuff, I think. Really? Beyond? <laughs> Sorry, go on. There is this very, uh, you know, we talk, I just talked about how he has so much money. But the reason he has so much money is because of this weird interplay with the Super PAC. It's not sometimes clear to anybody, to donors, to people, even in the, the DeSantis world, who actually is in charge. And the DeSantis's closest uh, age that went over to the Super PAC, Phil Cox, has already not been fired, but let's you know he, he essentially has already been thrown out of the Super PAC. So there's no one over at the Super PAC that has. You know, there's a few people, but the, the original team that was supposed to be close to DeSantis isn't super pack anymore. So, and that's caused a lot of confusion. That's why you see this sort of messaging that goes, you know, seems to go up and down. You also saw at the very beginning, they were so confident. They were like, we don't need the mainstream media. The mainstream media doesn't matter. Right, They're right, all right. Person yes. hacks. And now, yeah. and now I can tell you reporters on the campaign trail are getting like pitched by the DeSantis people, you know, multiple times a day to write stories. So, You know, clearly they they now have conceded the mainstream media as much as they hate it. You know, does matter uh, a bit when you're trying to repress them. Yeah.
2: Who could have thunk it? Yeah. I mean, I do feel like some of the problem with DeSantis World is they're too smart by half. Right. DeSantis had Susie Weil. I want you to explain to our listeners, because this is like in the weeds, who Susie Weil is and why losing her may have ultimately have sort of reverberations that are impossible to quantify.
6: This is one of the most fascinating subplots. It's very Shakespearean right in the way that it is. So Susie Wiles worked for Trump in 2016. Then she is brought in after Ron DeSantis, you know, wins the gubernatorial Republican primary. And what's an upset, the National Republican Party is like, we got to get better people in there. So they bring uh, Susie Wiles, who led Florida for Trump in, in 2016. She comes in. Ron DeSantis wins. She joins the administration. And within a year, she's on the outs. And not just like, oh, she went to go spend time with her family sort of on the outs. It's like, no, she is on the outs. We never want to speak to her again. She's terrible. And Ron DeSantis is basically telling that anyone who will listen, you can't hire Susie Wiles. So it is. It, it was an acrimonious
2: scorched earth. Yes.
6: And now Susie Wiles is essentially they, they don't have titles over, um, you know, at the top tier of the Trump campaign. But essentially, in practice, she is co-campaign manager of the right. Trump reelection. Now, there's a few practical things. It is not a coincidence that you have seen a lot of shit talking from former DeSantis aides (laughs) right you know it seems like every other story I mean going back to 2012 basically Ron DeSantis does not have besides his wife does not have many loyalists around him and a lot of people feel burned and so there is a large group of DeSantis alumni that are willing to shit talk him and you know I think having Susie Wiles who knows all those people there's a bunch of former DeSantis people from the 2018 campaign that are now on the Trump team and i think the acrimonies of that relationship has uh, really a- enabled for a lot of these embarrassing stories about DeSantis to come out and it is going to be fascinating y- y- just like everything in politics like at the end of the day it comes down to personal relationships and there is none that's sort of more interesting than the Susie Wiles and DeSantis's hatred, uh, like red hot rage toward her.
2: Yeah, so interesting. I don't want to like spend this whole time talking about this one aide, but Susie Wiles is really
6: good. She is very respected. Um, the number, you know, the Trump world—it's almost—it's it, it, so easy to find people to shit talk each other. I mean, that's been like a, a dynamic of that world, you know, going back to when he was in business. And that comes from the top down because Trump loves to gossip and shit talk in people yeah. he's really close with. So I bring that up because to this day, I mean, I'm sure it does exist, but no one has shit talked Susie Wiles to me in that world. They've all shit talked to each other, but I think there is real respect. I mean, she is, this is not Corey Lewandowski here. I mean.
2: And she's very powerful in Florida. So I don't know, maybe it's me that the subplot of the older woman getting you know, mistreated by this younger campaign and then going and sort of bringing back her power to this. I, I just think it's a pretty interesting subplot. I want to get back to so the Republican Party primary is DeSantis, Trump and everyone else. But mostly it's just Trump and everyone else.
6: Yes, I think that's fair to say. And what's going to be a, a really interesting to watch is if Trump does not show up to the first debate, does that mean that everyone treats DeSantis you know as a punching bag? Because I think DeSantis obviously wants this to be a Trump versus DeSantis race because that elevates him. But every other candidate is waiting to take DeSantis down so that it becomes Trump versus versus everybody. And, you know, DeSantis committing to going to that debate and Trump, if he steps it out, could end up being a really brutal smackdown for DeSantis if he's not ready for it.
2: Yeah, and he's not. he's likely not because we've seen him try to interact with other with humans and it's not does not go great. Let's talk about the Biden reelect. We got Biden. Tell us what's happening behind the scenes, moving people around. And also talk to us about that rage story.
6: Absolutely. So I'll start with the rage story and then I'll go into sort of where the reelect is right now. Joe Biden has this very you know, carefully cultivated image of you know, the kindly uncle, kindly grandpa treat everybody with respect. But I can tell you behind closed doors, this guy's a yeller and will leave aides sometimes pretty shaken, especially if they're not used to it. Uh, the, the, sometimes his uh, rages can get so intense that you'll literally have an aide nervous to meet alone with him and will, will bring in other people to come into the meeting because they know they're going to give him bad news. And that way that the sort of firing line can be distributed I'd also say that this does undermine sort of his public image, but it also does undermine the Republican image of him basically being a brain in a jar, right? Which is sort of what they try to insinuate every day. And I can tell you like I was I was talking to somebody who was talking to people in the White House and they were just like, Man, you know, I wish she was senile um because,
2: <laughs> right, right, right. because, because it can then be you so brutal. Me. Yeah. Right. So Republicans are like, he's see out, he's seen out, he's see out. This story is actually helps make the case that Biden is competent. And by the way, nobody gives, we're not on cable news, so I can say this, a shit if a man is a mean boss, right? Nobody cares. In fact, they may like it, right? A woman, forget it, right? We remember what happened with the rumors of Senator Klobuchar. But I mean, maybe it does somewhere, but it seems very likely to not hurt Biden. I wonder why the Biden administration wouldn't necessarily want this out there.
6: It was interesting to me in reporting the story out because it wasn't handed to me. I, I certainly worked on it for a bit. But then once I went to them, you know, this is a White House thing is very aggressive in defending its people. And this is one of those stories. And part of it was because I know they know it's true, but they didn't push back that hard. You know, they they basically were like, let's give you some added context on like other nice things he does, essentially, right? right? And <laughs> they didn't push back on any of the underlying facts, which to me, reading between the lines, I, I did sort of wonder if they wouldn't mind this, because I can tell you behind closed doors, they may say, oh, you know, it's fine. But they are very worried about these age numbers in the polling. Right, of course. And they're trying to figure out how to change it.
2: Right. I mean, the joke is, and I just wrote about this yesterday, Manny Fair was like, you cannot have this conversation. Like, you can have this conversation about Biden's age if he's running against DeSantis. But if he's running against Trump and it becomes a contest of who is healthier... And is... Biden, the guy who bikes every day, healthier than Trump, the guy who had COVID and lied about how sick he was, like, yeah. you know, and Trump is three years younger than Biden. I mean, this is going to bite them in the ass. And it, it's funny because I think about, like, if you go back in time to the debate performances, right, the Trump world was like, Biden is terrible debater. He's going to be terrible. He can't talk. So then he opened his mouth and people were like, that's not right. And then it ended up, like, really elevating him, right? I mean, this is the same exact thing they're doing.
6: It is really interesting. You know, the, a few months ago, the RNC started putting out some new talking points, basically saying, like, the age stuff matters, but it's not going to be determinative. We need to really go after Biden. <laughs> right, we need to go after right. Biden on, like, the substance, on this issues, right. on him doing a bad job. And I do think people do sometimes get surprised. Yeah, you know, they might see a debate in fall of 2024 and realize that Joe Biden is more with it than some of the quick clips on Fox News primetime would suggest. Yeah, you know, that being said, I think the where Biden is struggles in a contrast with Trump, even though he does exercise more and uh, although they both eat pretty, pretty terribly, I got to I got to <laughs> tell you.
2: I know it's true. <laughs> well, the ice cream, I mean I was reading about it and I was like, Well, ice cream's okay, but the chicken nuggets and the <laughs>
6: his aides joke that uh that Biden's food palate is It's kindergarten, right? It's like beige. Like every like it's it's lots of carbs, French fries, <laughs> pasta. Like they'll keep trying to get him to eat more fish, but then he'll sort of double down on dessert. And so it's like it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: I find this hilarious. Yes, yes, yes. Continue.
6: Oh, but I was saying, you know, the the thing that Biden has always struggled with is just, and this is part of where politics is in this reality television age we live in, is that, you know, the performance aspect of it, Trump just seems younger. And, you know, Joe Biden's team continue. I mean, I know there's, there's Democrats that have communicated to the president's team like, Stop putting the guy just behind a lectern and letting him talk. It's just not his best format, is what right, they right. say. You know, it, it just makes him look even older. But they're still trying to figure it out. I, I don't, my my uh, my suspicion, although I don't know, yeah, I don't have firm reporting, but my suspicion was it wasn't a coincidence that we saw pictures of him at the beach over the weekend.
2: They want those beach pictures?
6: I I'm not sure, but I, I don't, I think they are trying to figure out any way to change those age numbers they're debating a lot of different things i i don't know for sure the beach ones i did make some calls on it afterward because it was striking to me that those emerged
2: alex we're gonna want you to come back i'm sorry
6: oh (laughs) Well, that's I'd love to come back.
2: The bad news is we're going to need you to come back because I want to know more about what's going on. And also, as the Republican debates start going and the fur starts flying over under, I'm going to ask you to predict the future, which you're never supposed to do over under that Trump shows up at the debates.
6: I think he's not going to show to the first one and then he will show up to the second.
2: Very cinematic. We will uh, see if you're right. Thanks so much, Alex.
1: Thank you. And now your moment of fuckery.
2: Jesse Cannon.
1: Molly jug fast. So the insurers... I've gone woke, according to Ron DeSantis, and they're leaving Florida because of climate change and they don't want to insure homes in Florida because it's going to screw them financially. What do you see in here?
2: Turns out the only bigger scam than Las Vegas (laughs) insurance, (laughs) they don't like to lose their money. And it turns out that insuring houses that will be underwater is a bad business model. And so they are leaving the state of Florida You know, Florida, where woke goes to die. It ain't wokeness, buddy. It's capitalism. Do not confuse capitalism with wokeness. And for that, that is our moment of fuckery. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening.
3: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee.
2: When you have insurance, it's easy to forget about your out of pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. How do you know you're not overpaying? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a technology company that securely connects with your insurance and reviews your claims for overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. To save, visit healthlock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider.